Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 86 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of Standard Charter Bank's recent settlement with uh, the Justice Department and OFAC and other agencies for over $1 billion for sanctions violations. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Hope everything is going well. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and rate the podcast to help let other compliance professionals know about the podcast and the resources we offer. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, provides ethics and compliance program services, including trade compliance. In particular, we provide assistance and counseling on compliance with Department of Treasury's OFAC regulations, Department of Commerce's Export Administration regulations, and State Department ITAR regulations. We assist companies in reviewing specific transactions, implementing effective compliance programs, and responding to agency requests for information or responding to an enforcement action. We've helped a number of companies to conduct voluntary disclosures, audits, and internal investigations as necessary. We're familiar with existing sanctions programs involving Iran, Cuba, Russia, Venezuela, and other countries. We secure licenses and approvals needed for export transactions under EAR and ITAR from the Department of Commerce and State, respectively. If interested in our trade compliance services, please contact me at mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. Well, uh, this is just uh, the standard charter case is really important just for a number of reasons. Um, it's another in the line of global banks that are kind of what I say the poster children of sanctions violations. But in many ways, uh, we're, we're seeing here a continuation of the aggressive OFAC uh, sanctions uh, enforcement uh, by the Justice Department and uh, especially by OFAC. And uh, what's important in this uh, enforcement action are a number of trends that are important, but mainly when we get to the compliance implications and a pretty straightforward discussion by OFAC about compliance elements and what their expectations are with regard to an effective sanctions compliance program. So let's review the uh, enforcement action, go through it. There are a number of uh, important sort of trends to to sort of note here um, with regard to standard uh, chartered bank. Uh, you'll recall Star Standard Charter Bank in 2012 entered into a deferred prosecution agreement with regard to sanctions violations at that time. That was extended when uh, it was discovered that there were uh, further violations or additional violations uh, going on with regard to Standard Charter Bank. Uh, and then the monitorship was extended. And so finally here we have the long-awaited uh, resolution of a multi-year investigation that focused on uh, activities after the after what was disclosed in the first deferred prosecution agreement with the Justice Department in 2012. So in this resolution, we see the multi-year investigation come to a close. The Justice Department, the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control, the New York District Attorney's Office, the Federal Reserve, the New York State Department of Financial Services, and the United Kingdom's Financial Conduct Authority announced a number of settlement agreements in connection with uh, Standard Chartered's violations of the Iran sanctions programs. Under the agreements, uh, Standard Chartered, or I'll call them SCB, agreed 
with the Justice Department to forfeit $240 million, a fine of $480 million, and to extend its existing Deferred Prosecution Agreement, or DPA, for an additional two years. Uh, OFAC, the uh, SCB agreed with OFAC to pay total penalties of $657 million. The Federal Reserve, they were going to pay penalties of $163 million. The New York Department of Financial Services, they're paying $180 million. And the UK's Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, uh, to pay total penalties of $133 million. And the New York District's Attorney's Office, they paid a financial penalty, agreed to pay a financial penalty of $292 million and extend the DPA that they have with New York for two more years. The Justice Department agreed to credit a portion of these payments and reduced its fine uh, for SCB from $480 million to $52 million, uh, along with, two, with the $240 million forfeiture. All in all, it totals to over a billion uh, in terms of uh, fines and penalties and forfeitures, once you add that in. At the same time, the Justice Department filed a new two-count felony information with the U.S. District Court in the District of Columbia, which added a second count to the original information filed uh, in the first deferred prosecution agreement on December 10, 2012. The first count filed in 2012 charged SCB with a criminal conspiracy from 2001 to 2007. Um, In the 2012 settlement, SCB agreed to pay a criminal fine of $227 million. In the newly added second count, SCB agreed to defer prosecution of a second conspiracy from 2007 to 2011 which resulted in SCB processing approximately 9,500 U.S. dollar transactions to benefit uh, Iran individuals and entities, totaling approximately $240 million in business. The Justice Department also announced the indictment of an Iranian national, uh, Mohammad Riza Elyasi, and the guilty plea of a former SCB employee for a criminal conspiracy to violate the Iran sanctions program. And this is an important point because, again, we're seeing emphasis on individual prosecutions. Uh, The Justice Department is clearly making a move across not just the FCPA, but in sanctions violations uh, in other areas, indicating uh, adherence to its stated policy of emphasizing individual prosecutions as a way to deter Uh, criminal misconduct. SCB's uh, sanctions violations arose from activities in SCB's uh, Dubai and London offices, mainly in Dubai as we go through this. Elyasi was an uh, Iranian national who had business accounts in SCB's Dubai branch, and this is where the activity uh, was concentrated, and conducted foreign currency transactions in U.S. dollars. SCB's former employees knew that Al-Yassi's business organizations operated from Iran and benefited uh, Iran interests and helped uh, Al-Yassi disguise his Iran connections to avoid detection by SCB officials. Al-Yassi and co-conspirators registered numerous general trading companies, GTCs, in the United Arab Emirates and then used these companies as fronts for many exchange transactions to benefit his business operations in Iran. 
For its part, SCB admitted to processing approximately 9,500 U.S. dollar transactions through the United States in violation of the Iran sanctions program, as I mentioned above. Um, SEB has engaged in significant remediation, uh, including the enhancement of its U.S. sanctions compliance program and improvements to its overall financial crime compliance program. And they fully cooperated with the government's investigation, and most especially they helped in producing evidence of criminal wrongdoing by the individuals for prosecution. So standard uh, chartered bank certainly has its troubles, uh, and you know a company is in trouble, however, when they breathe a sigh of relief after paying over $1 billion in fines and penalties and compares itself uh, to BNB uh, Paribas, the global French bank, which paid over $8 billion for pervasive U.S. sanctions violations, and Commerce Bank, which paid over $3 billion in fines and penalties. So the Justice Department and OFAC certainly have a target-rich environment when they review global bank compliance with U.S. sanctions. It's an important uh, enforcement priority because global banks cannot engage in U.S. dollar transactions without complying with U.S. sanctions. Uh, it's as simple as that, and, it's, and they always get caught up in these U.S. dollar transactions. Looking through the factual statement that supported the uh, prosecution and the settlement, The Justice Department confronted uh, SEB officials with evidence of the criminal conduct and uh, that they had learned in another investigation relating to SCB. And then SCB immediately responded by uh, cooperating, uh, providing significant evidence of criminal wrongdoing. Uh, And uh, since mid-2013, when they were confronted with this evidence, SEB has been uh, engaged in significant remediation efforts. Um, The conspiracy or the activity really were conducted by two employees and uh, a significant Iranian client at the Dubai branch during the years 2007 to 2011. Um, Even though in August 2007, SCB enacted a policy to suspend all business with Iran or Iranian customers, Uh, Certain customers in SCB's Dubai office sought to continue the U.S. dollar transactions, uh, and they used deceptive means. So the two former employees, I'm going to refer to them as persons A and B, uh, one of which who pled guilty and is probably cooperating. The others probably didn't have to plead guilty but is cooperating. But both of them appear to be cooperating with the criminal investigation and will testify against the Iranian national uh, El-Yassi. Uh, persons A and B helped El Yassi open uh, commercial accounts in the Dubai office, knowing that the accounts were fronts for El Yassi's business operations in Iran. Uh, persons A and B helped El Yassi and other persons conduct transactions involving U.S. dollars to benefit El Yassi and his Iranian business. They also advised El Yassi on ways to structure financial transactions to avoid detection of any connection to Iran. They provided false information uh, in response to inquiries from other officials in order to disguise the Iran connections of El Yassi's and his his companies. And in several instances, other financial institutions would reject payment requests from SCB on behalf of El Yassi. These were like correspondent banks. And persons A and B then provided false information to those banks to conceal the Iranian connections 
and basically saying that uh, El Yassi conducted business in uh, areas outside of Iran. So over half of the U.S. dollar transaction uh, occurred because of deficiencies in SCB's compliance program that allowed customers to order U.S. dollar transactions via fax and online payment instructions. Uh, and these could be submitted from telephone numbers from, that included uh, country codes from sanctioned countries. Here it was uh, plus 86, which was Iran. And so they wouldn't confirm the location of the customer requesting the transaction. Uh, SCB compliance employees in the UAE were aware of these risks and themselves did not take adequate steps to identify the location of these customers. In the case of Al Yassi, persons A and B knew that Al Yassi resided in Iran and operated business accounts at SCB's Dubai branch. Um, and Al Yassi was listed in SCB bank records, you know, in his customer due diligence or customer KYC file with both UAE and Iranian con contact information, uh, including a fax and phone number uh, beginning with the plus 98 country code assigned to Iran. I said uh, 86. It's actually plus 98. And they also had records of El Yassi's Iranian passport. Uh, in a recorded phone call, and this must have been recorded uh, pursuant to business needs, their business, El Yassi told person B that he was in Iran and invited person B to visit him in Iran. So between 2008 and 2010, uh, SCB stopped multiple payments for one of El Yassi's companies based on Iran-related references in the payment instructions, including the names of various cities in Iran, as well as references related to Iran shipping lines. In June 2009 and September 2009, SCB blocked two outgoing payments from an El Yassi company to Iran banks. In August 2010 and again in January 2011, SCB was aware that outgoing payments from one of El Yassi's companies were, uh, was rejected by other financial institutions due to Iranian connections. So uh, person A and B, persons A and B also provided false and misleading information to the SEB compliance officer in order to disguise uh, El Yassi's Iran connections. For example, person A told uh, SEB compliance that El Yassi did not have any branch operations outside of Dubai. In December 2010, SCB decided to terminate its banking relationship with one of El Yassi's companies based in part on the number of payment requests that had been stopped by SCB and other correspondent banks because of Iran sanctions concerns. Persons A and B helped El Yassi to create a new company account for a second El Yassi company to resume the transactions. Al Yassi named a non-Iranian person as the nominee of the new company, but persons A and B knew that Al Yassi continued to control the operation of the new company. Al Yassi was author authorized to sign for the new account, and much of the contact information was the same as the prior closed account. So again, persons A and B, uh, in setting up, helping to set up this sort of nominee relationship, they also instructed El Yassi on how to structure transactions going forward to avoid suspicions uh, by SCB compliance and other banks. In a recorded telephone call, for example, person A told El Yassi to not send payments to Iranian individuals directly from the new company account, but to have the nominee transfer the funds from the company's 
commercial account to the nominee's personal account at SCB Dubai and then send payments to the Iran individuals to avoid having the company account monitored and possibly closed. Eventually, SCB Dubai closed this second company account in September 2011. Persons A and B assisted other Iranian nationals with accounts at SCB Dubai to circumvent Iran sanctions to complete U.S. dollar transactions. But by December 2009, SCB officials knew that SCB Dubai's uh, SME business uh, posed a high risk of Iran sanctions violations because of, one, the close proximity of Dubai to Iran, to the large number of Iran nationals operating SCMEs in Dubai, and three, corporate clients associated with Iran nationals. Additionally, senior SCB officials were aware of the risk that UAE-based general trading companies could be subsidiaries or branches of parent companies in Iran. So in May 2011, high-level SCB compliance employees had compiled a list of GTC customers, general trading customers, of SCB Dubai, whose transactions were being declined based on potential Iran sanctions violations. And the compliance professionals were not able to block a large number, however, of these suspect transactions. The reason cited uh, in the papers and in the statement of facts was that SCB's compliance program was not equipped with the adequate resources to mitigate the significant risks of these Iran-related transactions from involving the Dubai office. It was insufficiently staffed and inadequately resourced. Although SCB was aware of the high-risk nature of many of its customers, uh, SCB failed to allocate the needed resources and employees to review customer due diligence and KYC documents. Well, let's now turn to some of the compliance insights. And here there's really uh, some important points to be made with regard to OFAC uh, compliance programs. The Treasury Department, uh, the OFAC, uh, has promised to issue guidance on effective uh, sanctions compliance programs this year. And this is a long-anticipated sort of update to prior information OFAC has released on the same subject. But with this new sort of emphasis on enforcement and compliance, uh, OFAC has certainly raised the stakes for, the, for sanctions enforcement, uh, and especially with respect to Iran and Venezuela sanctions programs. Um, so far this year, OFAC has announced a number of significant enforcement actions and is sending a real strong message on the importance of compliance. And company, uh, that ignore these, companies that ignore these uh, pronouncements and actions are only asking for trouble. And, and I, I know that's a trite phrase, but it's, it's definitely true. The OFAC settlement agreement, however, with Standard Charter contains some important uh, details surrounding sanctions compliance. The uh, amended deferred prosecution agreement uh, details by reference uh, and incorporates the settlement uh, details with regard to compliance uh, reached in the OFAC settlement uh, agreement, two separate agreements. Um, so companies that are in the process of implementing or updating their OFAC sanctions compliance programs should review these documents and should incorporate these uh, compliance expectations and elements into their own ana analysis. 
So as part of the settlement agreement, SCB agreed to maintain uh, sanctions compliance uh, measures, enhanced compliance measures. And the key elements that I want to go through, there are five important elements. Management commitment, risk assessment, internal controls, testing and auditing, and training. So under management commitment, SCB had to ensure that senior management reviews and approves the sanctions compliance program and that senior management executives and the board of directors maintain a commitment and support of the sanctions compliance program, and that can usually uh, be evidenced in writing. Senior managers are required to delegate sufficient authority and autonomy to deploy its policies and procedures so that they mitigate and address uh, their sanctions risks. Uh, and compliance uh, units must receive adequate resources, including in the form of human capital, expertise, information technology, and other resources as appropriate that are relative to SCB's breadth of operations, target and secondary markets, and other factors affecting its overall risk profile. So senior management is also required to promote a quote-unquote culture of compliance throughout the organization and demonstrate recognition of the seriousness of apparent violations of the laws and regulations and the importance of preventing recurrence. Under risk assessment, SCB has to conduct an OFAC risk assessment in a manner and with a frequency that adequately accounts for potential risks posed by its clients and customers, products, services, interestingly here note supply chain, intermediaries, counterparties, transactions, and geographic locations, and SCB has to develop a methodology to identify, analyze, and address the particular risks it identifies. With respect to internal controls, SCB has to design and implement written policies and procedures outlining its sanctions compliance program. And these policies and procedures have to be relevant to the organization, captures their day-to-day operations and procedures, and are easy to follow and prevent employees from engaging in misconduct. Further, the internal controls have to adequately address the results of uh, its OFAC risk assessment and profile and has to enable SCB to clearly and effectively identify, interdict, escalate, and report to appropriate personnel within the organization transactions and activity that may be prohibited by OFAC. Interestingly, with respect to automated databases used for sanctions compliance, uh, SCB has to ensure that it has selected and calibrated uh, the solution in a manner that is appropriate to address SCB's risk profile and compliance needs, and SCB has to routinely test the solution to ensure effectiveness. So you have to have a good uh, you know, vendor search database vendor-supplied search database, but it's got to be a good selection, and you have to demonstrate the selection and document the selection. The calibration of the solution in terms of, you know, what kind of matches you're going to produce uh, and how, what kind of, uh, and what your elevation procedures are, and you have to routinely test the solution to make sure you're capturing and getting uh, notices with regard to the the proper um, matches. SCB has to enforce its policies and procedures through internal and external audits and has to ensure that its OFAC-related record-keeping policies and procedures 
adequately account for all of these requirements. SCB uh, has to ensure that upon learning of a weakness in its internal controls relating to sanctions compliance, it will take immediate and effective action to the extent possible to identify and implement compensating controls until the root cause of the weakness can be determined and remediated. SCB further has to clearly communicate the sanctions compliance program's policies and procedures to all relevant staff, including personnel with the sanctions compliance function, as well as relevant gatekeepers and business units operating in high-risk areas. That means customer acquisition, payments, sales, and to external parties performing sanctions compliance responsibilities on behalf of uh, SCB. In particular, SCB has to appoint personnel to integrate the sanctions compliance programs, policies, and procedures into its daily operations. This process includes consultations with relevant business units and ensures that SCB employees understand the policies and procedures. With respect to testing and audits, SCB has to ensure that the testing or audit function is accountable to senior management is independent of the audited activities and functions and has sufficient authority, skills, expertise, and resources within the organization. SCB has to employ testing or audit procedures appropriate to the level and sophistication of its uh, sanctions compliance program and ensure that this function, whether deployed internally or by an external party, reflects a comprehensive and objective assessment of SCB's OFAC-related risks and internal controls. Finally, with respect to training, SCB has to ensure that its OFAC-related training program provides adequate information and instruction to employees and as appropriate stakeholders, for example, clients, suppliers, business partners, and counterparties, in order to support SCB's sanctions compliance efforts. The training program has to provide OFAC-related training with a scope that is appropriate for its products and services, and it, including customers, clients, partner relationships it maintains, and the geographic regions in which it operates. An SCB has to conduct training for all relevant employees at least at a minimum once a year. SCB's training resources and materials have to be available to all personnel and easily accessible and obviously, if you, they learn of a confirmed negative testing result or audit finding or other deficiency, they have to take immediate and effective action to provide training to the relevant personnel. Well, those are important principles uh, that should be incorporated in everyone's uh, OFAC uh, sanctions compliance program. And the statement here, I think, is a, is a, a precursor a preliminary sort of lead into what we're going to see later this year in terms of the, the guidance. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At Ethical Companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkoflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. 
You can contact me at my email address, mbolkoff at bolkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals. Bye.